All right, Genesis chapter 6. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment, or maybe you can't, maybe you can, uh, imagine if every single person around you was evil. And you might sometimes feel like that right now. You might look at, you know, you might get on Facebook and be like, wow, there are a lot of evil people in this world. Um, you know, a lot of stuff has been going on recently, and, and you might be able to sit there and say, wow, there, there's some evil happening in the world. Uh, maybe you're just walking through your day-to-day life, and you're able to sit there and say, man, th- th- there's evil in my everyday life. I, I feel like everything I look at uh, is full of evil. You, you look around, and you know for a fact that not another person in the world cares about God. Not another person in the world cares about anything spiritual. No one wants to do good for anyone. Everything is being done for, for selfish reasons, and, and that's it. I know that I said, can you imagine it? I have a feeling that a lot of us are having a really hard time imagining that right now. Because when we think about ourselves and we think about, man, I see some evil in the world, what are we doing right now? We're able to come to a place like this and see that, hey, not everyone is evil. There's good left in the world. We're able to talk to some family members and maybe say, you know what, there's some good left in the world. We're able to to go talk to some friends and see, hey, there's good in the world, you're, you're maybe even able to look at other people in the world who, who want to claim Christianity and say, you know what, that is a genuinely good person. But can you imagine if every single person was evil? This is the case in Genesis chapter 6. In Genesis chapter 6, it's at a time where, if you remember from last week, we were talking about Enoch, you know, these super long lives. Genesis chapter 6 still has people living for a super long time, these, these insanely uh, long lives. And you can imagine, um, and maybe, maybe again you can't imagine, but you can imagine that if you were to live 900 years, if you were to live 800 years, man, if you were to live 500 years, and you got to this point, you might start thinking higher of yourself as you're sitting there saying, you know what? I have a long time to live. I, I have a lot to live for, and nothing can kill me. I'm just going to live a very long time. Maybe you would sit there and start thinking of yourself being a little bit um, more than a human being. Maybe you start thinking of yourself uh, almost as, in, in a sickening way, almost as a godlike individual, because simply you're not dying. That then leads to, to you being able to do whatever you want. It leads to, to no one being able to tell you what to do, because why should anyone tell you what to do? You're going to live a 900-year life. And due to this, what we see happening in Genesis chapter 6 is much evil. I hope you're open there right now. Verse 5, we see God describe this. It says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention, hear that, every intention and thought of his heart, every thought a human had, every intention a human had was only evil continuously. You can't imagine. It's so bad that in verse 6, God is going to say that he regrets making mankind, that it grieved his heart that he had made mankind. If you're a good person here, there's no seeing other Christians. There's no seeing anyone else who is a person of God. It's all thoughts and intentions are evil. Of every single person 
who is around you. And so that is why when we come to Noah in verse 8, it's a little bit of a different setting where it says in verse 8, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. At a time when God has just said, you know what? I regret making man. I regret creating human beings. Hey, Noah found finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. Just like we saw in Enoch last week, not living to an old age, we see Noah in this situation, who is another anomaly, someone who doesn't fit into the storyline, to, to what's taking place in this passage. Someone that is one person finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so it then leads to this big situation that we know so well when God says, you know what, uh, we're going to flood the earth because we need to destroy all living things. And that's what uh, he does. And the flood comes, and, and he, he looks at Noah's, he built this massive boat and gives them all the um, instructions on how to do this. Uh, and, and he gives them and says, hey, take these animals with you, and we're going to keep life alive this way. Um, and, and he says, do all these things, and we're going to flood the earth. No one knows. you got to imagine, no one knows exactly what he's doing here. God's uh, not giving him this information to sit here and say, hey, you know, you have no idea what's taking place. No one's even going to go out and, and, and be an evangelist and, and say, hey, uh, guess what? Um, God's going to flood the earth uh, and, and everyone's going to die. Um, and he probably knows exactly what's going on here. And you got to imagine if you're in Noah's situation, your mindset is immediately going to this idea of, man, when this thing's over. There's going to be nothing alive. No more human beings. No more animals. No more anything. It's going to all be dead, all gone. Talk about an eerie feeling. Talk about a creepy feeling. To sit there and know that, that yourself and your sons and their wives and your wife are going to be the only people still alive at the end of all people. And God is able to look down at you and say, you know what? Out of every single human being on this earth, you're the only person who's doing life right. You're the only person who's doing things in a way that I would say is all right. I'm going to continue mankind with you and your family. You're that person. You're trying to share this message. No one cares. And the rain starts to come down. And, and the, the ground starts to break to allow the deep to open. And you know as you're sitting there on the ark that life is never going to be the same. Because everyone's about to die. And the water begins to rise. And if you're Noah, and the Bible says he escaped the waters of the flood upon the earth. And you look around inside the ark. And the only life that is left in the world. It's the structure, is in the structure that you are in. Can you imagine what it would be like if the only life left in the world was the life that was in this structure right now? It's a lot more people than who are sitting on the ark. And then human beings, I'm kind of sure that when we look at the ark, there are many more animals. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, sounds good. I, I realize now that's how intimidating this is. We have like a, like a Noah blood expert over here, and, and I'm like, me. Um, but, but I started something. Um, anyways, uh, so, so we sit here, and, and you look at Noah, and he's sitting there in this instance, and he's able to look at, at just a few people and say, man, this is it. This is who it's going to be. When I say a prayer, it, it's not like my prayers are, are, you know, 
being heard by God, and then also there are a lot of other people praying and being heard by God. It's like family members and me. We're the living beings on earth, and God is able to look down at us and say, these are the living people. I think that we've gone through that. It's an obscure, weird situation that we can't imagine, and we wouldn't know how to handle it. And if you know how to handle it, uh, all props to you, I would say that I certainly do not know how to handle it. And especially when you think about it, as we sit here and look at this series of Onward, how do we move onward from a situation like that? How is Noah going to look at himself and say, yes, I'm going to move onward from being on this ark? I want to move onward from all this death and, and to move onward to having this new life and onward to a place where there's only a few people alive. Going back to land after the flood, Coming back to having a population on the earth eventually, but it's a population that, that is all your family. I want us to look at a few ways. Uh, when you think about Noah in this situation, you got to think that Noah sounds like a spiritual mountaintop. When you think about Noah in this moment, what Noah's experiencing is this moment. Of, of probably sadness that everyone's dying, but also Noah's sitting here in this instance, and, and, and it's them and God, and, and Noah's the only one who's surviving. Spiritually, you gotta think, man, I'm in a good place. I'm the one person on earth God chose to survive this flood. And as we start looking at this relation of Noah to us, as we start uh, bringing this together, because we can look at this flood all day, and we can sit here and say, here's Noah, but what does it look like when we, when we bring it around to us I want us to try to think about, and it's going to be minor, minor comparisons when we think about this idea of man. Yeah, Noah had a spiritual high, of a spiritual mountaintop of you know being on the ark and being the only person alive. But I want you to think for a moment: what does your spiritual mountaintop look like when you're looking in your life? When you think about back in your life, where was your spiritual mountaintop? Where are places where you would sit here and say, "Yeah, that, that's a, that's a big moment in my spiritual life." Maybe you're leaving church camp. And let me tell you, it was the best church camp that you have ever experienced in your entire life. Uh, man, a ton of new friends. Uh, the lessons really hit home. They touched your heart. You, you personally have been impacted by the things that were taught from the Bible. You know you want your life to change, and, and you're on that spiritual mountaintop. Maybe you recently had heard a lesson at church, and, and it impacted you. You went forward, and, and you were surrounded by hugs. You were surrounded by prayers. You are getting constant texts. Saying, hey, we're praying for you. We're thinking of you. We want to be here for you. Because of that, you feel like you're on a spiritual mountaintop and you're unstoppable. Maybe you were just baptized into Christ. And in that moment, for the first time in a long time, you feel free of guilt. You don't have a guilt that's blanketing over you. And you feel like, wow, my life is new again. There's nothing in this world that stands in the way of me spreading this gospel. You're on spiritual mountaintops. And we have these spiritual mountaintops because in those moments of time, what we are experiencing is, is this filling of the Holy Spirit where, 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 we're, uh, where he's coming into our lives and he's influencing every single part of our lives. When we're baptized into Christ, the Spirit comes into us and, and, he, and he altogether influences us, ooh, that was, uh, influences us to be a more perfect, better person all around. We 
have those spiritual mountaintop moments where we look at ourselves and say, wow, but there's nothing that can stop me. There's nothing that can pull me back. It's, it's God and me. For the first, in those moments in your life, you feel like you're in it. You feel like you're walking with God. You feel like there's no one who can stop you. We can look at people continuously in Scripture and say, you know what? There are people all throughout Scripture who had these moments. There are people who won an ark. There were people who won battles. There were people who, who had fire come down from heaven and, and destroyed the, the hours and hours of dancing of the prophets of Baal. There are people who have tongues of fire on their heads or above their heads. There are a lot of people who have these moments. I think Noah has one of the greatest. He's sitting there in the ark. The only good person left on the planet. It's not evil. And I think it would be awesome if we could look at their life and say, you know what, look at their life. They experienced that, and they never went wrong. They never had a struggle. They never had a challenge. And the thing is, though, is that when we think about our own lives, we know that's not true, and it's not true for Noah either. And we see something take place in the life of Noah, a lesson that we can learn, a lesson that is so important to us as we can sit here and look onward from these highlight moments in our spiritual walk, onward from these mountaintop experiences. And, and going to turn over to chapter 9, because what we're going to see in chapter 9 is where, um, I'm not going to say where things go wrong, but in a way it's where things seem to not go right in the life of Noah. Maybe this things go wrong. Because we start to see uh, a little bit of a lifestyle change in Noah in verse 20. It says, Noah began to be a man of the soil, and he planted a vineyard. Noah becomes a farmer. Um, you have to imagine, uh, you know, this guy Noah, uh, Spiritual legend, by the way, church legend. Uh, I, this is just speculation. Um, I think that he's probably the most, you know, graffitied on walls, uh, like person in the history of the United States. He certainly, once again, speculation. I'm 90 98%. Let's go ahead and say 99% of church buildings across the United States. Like you're gonna find Noah and an ark and some animals. Like there is no way that he's not in pretty much every single church building across the United States. I mean, this guy it is a legend. And you see he gets off the ark and he plants himself a vineyard. And, and, and you've got to also sit here and think like, man, this dude could pick any hillside he wanted to. This is one of the most beautiful hillsides around. And it's a place that, that hey, you call to visit that because it's just a beautiful scene. And this is what Noah, the man who's in the boat above all life, is now doing. He's planting a vineyard. Verse 21 he drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. A vineyard, of course, produces grapes. Those grapes lead to wine, and for no one in this instance, fortunately, it led to drunkenness. And there's a group of sins that takes place in this moment, a group of things that we can look at and say, man, what goes wrong for Noah in this moment? One, we see his, him lead himself to drunkenness. Um, this, this place where he loses control of his mind, and that's the fourth, first and foremost one where we can sit here and say, hey, we can read many scriptures that sit here and talk about drunkenness as a sin. Um, the other one, number two, is, is we see him uh, be uncovered in this tent. And this can have a couple of different meanings based on a, a couple of passages we see throughout scripture. But what, what we see here is this also leads to an opportunity for someone else's sin. So Noah sins in this uh, idea of drunkenness, and then he lays in this tent uncovered, which leads to someone else being able to sin. He's laying there, and he's fully revealed to anyone 
who would walk in. We see the story continue in verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and he told his two brothers outside. I remember when I was reading this story as a kid, I was like, man, Ham walks in and has to go out and, and share the sad news to, to his brothers, and, and I never really understood why Ham gets cursed, um, which you'll see later on in the passage. Uh, that that uh, Noah's going to curse him. But, but you sit here, and what we actually see when we read the original text is that Ham doesn't go in and, and see his father and then walk outside and, and, and say, guys, brothers, like, that's a mistake. That's not the attitude Ham has here. What Ham does is, is he walks in and walks outside and says, hey, bros, like, guess what happened to dad in there? Like, can you believe dad right now? And he starts this mocking atmosphere. He was clearly the jerk of the brothers. Um, you have brothers. There's one in every one. Definitely my brother. No, I'm just kidding. Sam is a great guy. Uh, but, but he comes out here and he says, hey. And he says it in a very obnoxious tone and he mocks his father to his brothers. A very derogatory term. And then in verse 23, then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's Nakedness. The brothers then here do this respectful thing, and I know we're going through this story right now. The brothers do the respectful thing. They don't look at their father. They, they sit there and say, you know what? Uh, we're just going to continue on, and we're not going to look at him. And they walk in backwards and lay the drape over their father so they're not going to see him. This is not the moment in Noah's history that we think about and imagine. This is not this moment in Noah's history that we study. This is not in part of Noah's history that gets painted on the walls of the church building, uh, thankfully. We always think of him at, at his spiritual high point. We think of him as the one guy where God could look down at the world and, and, and with everyone else not having any reason for God to save the world, God's not going to destroy Noah. Yet Noah moves onward from the flood, this mountaintop moment messes up, gets drunk and lays uncovered in his tent. And I think that we can take a few lessons um, from Noah in this instance and, and really from the entirety of the story with this idea of onward. The first one is I think we can look, we have to look onward from the world even when no one else is. We talked about this uh, a little bit last week for us casually to, or I say casually, for us to look onward from the world. The thing with Enoch was, remember, he, he looked onward from the world, before, or he was taken from the world before God took him. Uh, he was moving onward already. Uh, Noah, in this instance, was looking onward from the world when not another person was. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it can be really tough to look onward to heaven uh, when no one around us is looking towards heaven. It can be really tough when you're sitting there around the lunch table, when you're sitting there, um, we have a lot of adults in the room, when you're sitting there at, at your office break room, when you're sitting there, um, no matter where you are, and, and you're sitting there and you're crying, laughing, and the reason is is because something was said that definitely shouldn't have been said, but hey, it was hilarious. Go ahead and say it. Um, it, it can be really tough when your friends are, are just trashing on someone, either to their face or behind their back, um, for the adults in this room, uh, I said become an adult, I realize this doesn't stop when you get older. Um, but 
when you get to this moment in life and, and everyone's trashing on someone and we have to sit here and say, okay, yeah, that person probably deserves a mod, but I'm going to walk away from this. It can be really easy to, to look at the money we've earned but working so hard and have the desire to spend it, um, and I hope I don't step on anyone's toes here, uh, but have the desire to spend it on that new toy. Maybe it's the, the new boat, the new car, the, the vacation. Instead of looking onward from heaven and, and, and seeing the, the work of the church as something that is more important than having fun, it can be really easy to get stuck in school or work or a hobby and let that consume us instead of looking onward to heaven because we got to keep up at school with our grades. we got to keep up with our co-workers and the job that they're doing. And hey, I, sometimes I don't have time to just sit down and study God's word with my family. Sometimes I don't even have time to sit down and study it myself. And these things are easy because when we look around the world and we look around at people around us, what we see is, is that everyone is doing this. When you think about your friends right now uh, outside of the church, what are they doing? They're not taking their money and, and investing it into the church. They're not taking their time and investing it into spiritual things. They're not sitting there and, and, and not being okay with hatred. They're allowing all these little things to take hold of their lives that are a part of this world. People aren't looking onward to heaven. It's human beings who look at things on earth. They look at Noah, this guy who was at this great moment. This guy who owned, by the way, when he was before the flood, was looking onward to heaven when not anyone else was. Last week we talked about Enoch and how he walked with God and God took him. Uh, look at, at chapter 6, flip back a few pages to verse 9. What's it say about Noah? It says, these are the generations of Noah. This is in verse 9. I don't know if I said that. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. And then what's it say? It says, Noah walked with God. It's the exact same phrasing that it uses with Enoch. Except in this instance, it doesn't end in, and God took him. Although he did save him from a massive flood, which um, is also pretty fascinating. But this is Noah. This Noah who's walking with God. This Noah who's looking onward from earth when literally not another soul on earth was. God can look at the rest of the earth and know that they're not going to change, know that nothing is going to happen, see that Noah was the only one who was taking any time to walk with God, to walk with him. God saw that. God didn't say, that, that guy's walking with me, but boom, he's getting flooded with the rest of them. He's going to be destroyed, he's just going to be another casualty. God took notice when we as human beings look onward from the world when it feels like no one else is. God's going to take notice. God's going to notice that and see it. And it's going to be an impactful part of things in our eternity. Another thing I think we can notice is that we're going to have those moments where spiritually we're on top of the world. We talked about this a little bit earlier in this lesson. I want you to think just a moment with me. Um, and, and maybe you can sit there, think about this in your head. Uh, maybe think back to your baptism or, or think about uh, where you are right now if you're not yet baptized. Think about um, some reasons why you might. But why are you a Christian? 
What made you want to become a Christian? I'm going to give you some time to think for just a minute. If you put on Christ in baptism, what was the thing that made you say, yes, I want to become a Christian? Do that for a second. For me, I grew up in church. I was blessed to be able to do so. And, and, and I knew that, that, hey, my happy place was going to church. Uh, not only did I love to sing as a young child, um, which I did when I was in kindergarten request Old McDonald's to be sung in class every week until they finally did it. Um, and uh, So I loved to sing, um, even though I was not good at it. Uh, I, I knew that everything about the church made me happy. I was homeschooled, and so it was social, socialization for me. Uh, that made me happy. Uh, all these things, um, it, it were something I wanted. It, it was the moments like church camp, from as soon as I could start going, uh, up through now, you know, those times, that first week of summer, which is, is beautiful that for me, it's always been the first week of summer, um, that, that I could sit here and, and sing at church camp and love every second of it, sing with, with um, the youth group, the joy that surrounded that. It was the, the, the year that I, I was at camp and, and we were studying this whole idea of, of the power of salvation, what that meant. And in a few weeks, I guess it was a few days later, I was like, man, you know what? I want this forever. And I was like, I've got to be a Christian. I've got to do it now. And I was baptized into Christ. And I can tell you in that moment, I was on top of the world spiritually. Noah's floating high above, like where we are right now, in a boat. In that moment, I, I felt because I'm like above a mountain, like Noah was spiritually. We talked about some of those instances earlier that you might have when you feel like you're at that spiritual mountaintop where you feel like it's just you and God. It's you two walking hand in hand in this closed relationship where we maybe feel like, hey, we're sitting there right on the ark with Noah. When we feel like we're at this, this peak of spirituality, we're the people who God's focusing on and he's the only thing that we want to focus on. And, and the thing that we want to do is, is spread his word. And we feel like there's nothing that can stop us. In these moments, when we feel brave in the spirit, and we feel like it's flowing through us stronger than he ever has before. Those moments when we're going to uh, stand up for him no matter the cost. And those moments stand out in our mind. Those moments are the reason that we become Christians. The reason why we're sitting here right now. Because we're like, those are the times that, that, make, us, uh, that make us want to be Christians. Those are the times that get us through the tough times. And you have to think that's what Noah was feeling. God speaks to him and says, you're the one who's going to build this ark and survive. You're the one who's going to save the human race. You're the one who I'm going to work with, Noah. And I felt like VBS and local mission trips and, and like church camp growing up was awesome. No one got to talk to God and, and be the chosen person who is going to save the human race. No one was on a whole different level of a spiritual mountaintop. And we're going to have these moments in our life. But here's the thing that I want us to hear tonight that I, I want us to focus on. And, and something I want us to take from this is that these moments can't define our Christianity. These moments that feel so good where we're sitting there and we're praising God, singing at a church camp, or we're sitting here and we're outside on a Wednesday night in the middle of summer, or we're at a VBS, or we're sitting there and we're rising out of the waters of baptism, and that, that spiritual mountaintop can't be what defines our Christianity. Because if we let those things define our Christianity, there's a whole lot 
in our life that's going to be left out. A whole lot of moments in our lives that we would look at, and that's what our Christianity is, so it's not about moments. There are a whole lot of moments when we would sit there and say, yeah, that's not Christianity to me. And that leads into the other thing I think we can take from this is when the mountaintops seem to crumble, we can't turn to things of this world. When the mountaintops seem to crumble, we can't turn to things of this world. We see Noah in this moment in chapter 9. But what Noah does is he's going to turn to something in this world, something that he planted, something that he created, and he's going to make a huge mistake. I don't know why Noah makes this mistake. Um, there are several reasons. One is he's just watched every person he's ever known and every living thing that's ever known, he's watched them die. Um, that will take a lot of mourning. Even though you're the only good person left on earth, I'm sure that you knew people who, who you loved to, who maybe weren't the greatest. It's mourning the loss of so many people. Um, I don't know, I, it, maybe if you're Noah and you didn't really feel for a lot of people, maybe you're like, hey, I worked on a boat for a lot of years and, and like sat in a boat for a lot of days and, and uh, it's not as exciting as it used to be. Let's find a hobby, let's, let's get doing something. Um, and then he gets this post-flood life. He doesn't really know which way to go. And whether it's bored or mourning, it leads to something that's going to hurt him in this drunkenness. Why is this such a big deal to Noah? And how does it apply to us when it comes to losing this mountaintop moment? I want us to think about this idea of of intoxication, when one becomes drunk, it, it's losing this image of reality. Uh, it, it's this, uh, what they would call a high that, that's brought on by an intoxicating drink. And alcohol, when you drink it, it's this depressant. It, it loosens people. Why? Because it depresses their self-control, their wisdom, their balance, and their judgment. And then Noah turns to this. This Noah who, who has done so much, this Noah who, who has been one of these people who's going to be painted on every church building, and except for like maybe two of them uh, ever, uh, he gets to this point and he turns to this form of the present and it allows his life to get to a point where he's looking at something other than God. The mountaintop crumbled for Noah and he turned away from the Lord in this moment. When we come off our spiritual mountaintop, when we don't feel as filled uh, as we once did with the Spirit, the challenge to us is, are we going to make the same mistake Noah made in this moment and turn to the world to fulfill our needs? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm going to, those friends, they like, they, they bring me a lot of joy. Like, you know, it doesn't matter. We just go, like, hang out. Like, it's, a, it's a blast. Yeah, we, we sin a lot more together, but, you know, it, it's whatever. Yeah, 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 there was an addiction in my life, and, and that brought me a lot of joy. So, you know, I'm going to go back to that because, like, yeah, I had that spiritual mountaintop, but that was, like, three weeks ago, so I'm totally over that. I'm going on to that addiction again. That, that was much better. Yeah, yeah, I, I was addicted to that drug, and, and the drug just gave me what I needed. And, and the spiritual thing, I actually have to work and, and let that be a part of my life. I can just have this casual. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that relationship in my life, 
And, and that was a whole lot better than my relationship with God. It, it was a lot easier. Uh, I, I'm going to go back to that. And I think that it's safe to say that individually a lot of us have those things that it would be so easy to go back to. That we would be able to look back in our life and say, yeah, yeah, that's the thing I'm going to go back to when I when the spiritual mountaintop crumbles. I'm going to go back to that thing. Because the second that mountaintop crumbles, the Christian walk doesn't seem as great as it did when you were on top. A few minutes ago, I asked the question, why did you become a Christian? What did you think about the response? And what has changed for you since that day? In reality, I would hope that that answer is nothing has changed. I would hope that all of us are able to sit here and, and, and understand the fact that, hey, my life is, is still trucking on with my spiritual life the best I can do. I can hope that, that you're not sitting in a place where you would sit there and say, man, I, I'm struggling and, and I've fallen away and I've come back to my old things. But the reality is, is, if we have maintained this determination to walk the spiritual walk, even if we're not sitting on that mountaintop like we were, we're still filled with the Holy Spirit. He still lives inside of us. God is still present in our lives. He's still a part of our lives. We still have Him living in us. And, and, and we may be choosing to ignore Him. And it might be where that's the issue with why we're not feeling that spiritual mountaintop. It might be why we're struggling with the different things in our lives. is because we're choosing to ignore the spirit inside of us. And it could easily cause us to turn away. And I think that this is where Noah was a little bit. He got to a point where he, he knew that God was, was there. But he turned away from him. The spirit of God is clearly still going to be with him. Noah is still one of the greatest people that's ever lived. But in this moment, he forgot that the Spirit of God was with him. Maybe you're in that place tonight. Maybe you're in a place where you're like, wow, I, I know the Spirit of God is in me. I've just been ignoring him for quite a while now. When I look at my life, I, I've turned back to the things that I was in before. Before I, I became a Christian, before I knew I wanted to be a Christian, I've turned to other things that I've discovered since I became a Christian that I thought looked more attractive. And so we have to have a solution here. The solution is understanding, hey, it doesn't take a spiritual mountaintop to have him flowing through us. In our life, uh, when we move on from a spiritual mountaintop, it's never okay to, to look back in our life and, and, and sink back into our pre- Christian ways. It's the reason Paul compares the walk of Christianity to, to run with endurance, this endurance race, not a sprint. Our mountaintop spiritual experience isn't that moment when we feel great about our spiritual walk. It's not that art moment in our lives when we feel like we're the only one there. See, the spiritual, uh, the, the mountaintop spiritual experience isn't anything that we've ever experienced, and it's nothing that we're going to experience until we pass away. It's that moment when we enter the gates of heaven. We can sit here right now and be like, yes, these spiritual mountaintop experiences are, are, are what get me through things. They're the things that drive me. Those mountaintop spirits, no, 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 no. Mountaintop spiritual experience is getting to walk through the gates of heaven one day. 
And yeah, we're going to have some great moments along the way. Those moments where you look back and say, yes, that was an awesome thing. That's why I became a Christian. That moment when, when my best friend became a Christian. That, that moment when I was at church camp that I was influenced and my life changed. That difficult moment when I had to make the real decision of whether or not I was going to follow Christ. Those are those beautiful views that we get on the way to the top. But I'm so excited for the day when we all get to walk through the gates of heaven and have the true mountaintop spiritual experience. I hope that tonight, when we look at our lives, we don't let ourselves miss that and let ourselves have a mountaintop spiritual experience and let ourselves go downhill from there.